This week on the Glass Cannon Podcast, after the conclusion of book one, the gang recalls some of their favorite moments. I really enjoyed, as a moment, uh, that time that Bork got launched out of a catapult. Oh, I forgot about <laughs> How could we forget? Tries to grasp Skid's dated references. He looked like the lead bassist from Striper. It's <laughs> so weird that I didn't get Skid's reference. And learns of the sordid history of the Plague House. Me for a little finger bang sesh at the Plague House. <laughs> Plus, a long-awaited backstory may come to light. But there's one character I think we don't know very much at all about the most mysterious character of the group. Uh, I think I think it's time, depending if you want to, to, to kind of let 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 loose the. Uh, the backstory here a little bit. The adventure gets deeper now. Hello out there, Glass Canonites. Matthew here just to say hi and to spare you the math this time. So... Book one, done, true now, saved, for now. But yeah, we're pretty pumped. Been an awesome story so far, and in case any of you are worried, we have literally no intention of stopping. We have a special episode coming up today. Don't want to say too much about it, but suffice it to say, Nerdage! Yeah, anyway, thanks as always for listening and for all of your support. It's really fantastic. And thanks to those super nerds who are doing yeoman's work, spreading the word. We really appreciate it. Special shout out to my brother-in-law, Logan, who's outed himself as a total fan and convinced people in his office to listen. Well done, Logan. Anyway, sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 29. Okay, do you guys want to start book two, or do you want to do chores? Let's dive right into book two. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, was that a rhetorical question? I think Joe wants to do chores. Let's do chores. Uh, I'd rather do chores. (laughs) That makes Joe's bed. It's it's character building. (laughs) Um, You know, right off the bat, before I forget, I I think we've mentioned it probably on Twitter before, but I want to give a huge shout out to uh, Patrick Reaney. Who was the uh, the head writer of uh, book one? Yes, thank you, Patrick. Big round of applause. What, what a writer! Good times. You know, and we he had. wasn't alone. There was like seven other authors and twelve different artists, including a, a cover artist. I mean, and it, we put up a bunch of that artwork on the Tumblr because mm-hmm. it was just so good, phenomenal. And you know, I've been looking at we've been looking at Adventure Paths for a while. The artwork for this was. Unbelievable! They yeah. really stepped up their game. They really did. Uh, this is my the favorite. How about the art on the skull? Oh, the skull. Yeah. I keep looking back at that picture and being like, "Oh, I want to see that guy again." Like, just I think up part the, of it on that tower. Part of it is the subject matter, but this this really is my favorite art from any adventure path that I've played. Yeah, agreed. Well, well uh, all I can say is it only gets better. <laughs> what, have you read ahead? Oh, oh yes, I have. <laughs> I gotta say though, too. Nice little touches, like Screed really not looking like you expected. Right. The cave troll being yeah. kind of just... Kind of look like Dolph Lundgren. They, Those they, luscious locks. Right. Screed. Nice. <laughs> and and cool that he was uh, an alchemist. Yes. You know what I mean? Like, not yeah. like... You, when they said facial tattoos, I just pictured this huge, beefy, like, half-orc that was like a barbarian in charge of this army. Mike Tyson. You know? Right, right. But instead, he was like a nerd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he, he liked to play with his chemistry set. <laughs> <laughs> he looked like the lead... Bassist from Striper. <laughs> I don't 
<laughs> what band? Yeah, it was like a Christian metal band. It's so like weird the... that I didn't get Skids reference. <laughs> that, that, never, we need, that never happens. We need another drop for Skids references. <laughs> yeah. No one else gets. We do. We'll Nick, just play Nick, a, Nick, send us in a, 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 a drop for Skids reference. Or we'll just play a couple of licks from a Striper song. <laughs> uh, I'm you sure know, we won't get sued. <laughs> They're all dead. <laughs> um, so, you know, we started to do this at the end of last episode, and uh, I kind of want to continue in that vein. You know, obviously, this is a momentous occasion to jump into this new book, but I think we should give pause for a moment and kind of take a step back and do like a, what was the word I'm looking for? A little uh, talk back about how book one went, maybe a little character stuff, a little housekeeping. Uh, I think that'd be fun to kind of just take a break and, and talk about... The other stuff, rather than just like, what did I roll? Uh, let me talk to this guy. Let me talk to that. Mm-hmm. Um, we, like I said, we started to do it last episode, and so I think we should do that for a little bit, and you then know, I'll give a little tease into uh, book two uh, later in the episode. That works for me. I, and you know, it is a part of the game. Like, when you play this game not recording yourself, right. there's a lot of downtime. There's a lot of, like, talking out character stuff. There's a lot of, uh, sometimes the, you know, the DM will take a player, you know, just aside or into another room because they have to talk about something that the other players can't know yet or whatever. And that kind of stuff is, is really fun. And, and also going back over battles that you were just in, you know, rehashing, like, what if we had done this or did that? If we tried to treat with that guy, would he have still attacked us? You know what I mean? Stuff like that. It's fun to get the DMs behind the scenes. I like that idea of pulling someone aside. I think we could still pull that off in this podcast. Like I could just walk into the other room with my wireless mic and bring Matthew in and be like, Gormley is poisoned. (laughs) Yeah, I kind of like that. I mean, three rounds to live. She has cancer. (laughs) (laughs) And the poison is the chemotherapy she's receiving, and she's going to beat it. She's going to beat it. (laughs) Roll fortitude save. What a dark turn that would be. Dark turn. I mean, so there's a zillion things we can talk about. Um, you know, I, I'm trying to think what a good a good jumping off point was, but let's you know, let's talk about like what was your favorite? Do you guys have any favorite moment or moments from uh, you know the the first book that you just come to mind off the top of your head, either for your character or for another character? I honestly, my favorite, uh, re-listening to it especially, was the fight with the cave giant at the Hope Spring, because I just love the facing off against an epic epically large enemy like that and it was you know especially with the artwork picturing that that thing it was just so out of our above our pay grade right at that point yeah and i mean we had never seen anything like that like the um the orcs chained to him swinging whole orcs at you that <laughs> yeah. was insane the yeah. images were so vivid yeah very, very god of war yeah and I, yeah, I, yeah, I've never seen it was choreographed really well, uh, and I, I've never seen anything like that. And it was just, it was just really fun. That was that was really really cool. That was fun. I loved the whole murder mystery. Like, uh, you know, yeah. you don't get to do that a whole lot. Like, go around interrogating NPCs, looking for lies, doing sense motive checks, and I, I thought that was really fun. Trying to cleverly, like, actually be detectives. Like, you don't get to do that that often in these games. You end up, you know, fighting undead skeletons a lot. You don't get a chance to like use your brain in a uh, detective sort of way. I was going to say exactly the same thing. And I loved when we were like interrogating Cham about the book and what Screed looked like. <laughs> and I love like, I love like walking in there and just flipping the bed over and finding this shit. It like felt very CSI and super fun to do. Yeah. 
<laughs> and like when we did the alchemical check, like my alchemy skill has been mostly useless, but like to check for the oil of Taggart, that was all really cool. It's all fun, yeah. fun when that works, those random uh, skill checks. What about you, Matthew? I really enjoyed, as a moment, uh, that time that Bork got launched out of a catapult. Oh, I forgot. <laughs> How did we forget? Just, uh, just as, well, as a new player watching the look on Joe's face <laughs> and Skid's face as Troy explained that that was actually possible within the rules. <laughs> yeah, I mean, to me, like, that's one of those things where you look at your DM and you're like, you, you can't do that. Like, okay, you want to do it for flavor and you want to scare me and you want to make it, like, crazy, like... That's fine, but if it's actually going to kill my character, like it better be within the goddamn rules. And then you just like read the rules, and it was like, and at the end it was just like, and then you die. It's like, oh my god, like, scared the shit out of me. In, in that moment, it made it very clear to me that um, the closest Looney Tunes character to Lork is Wiley e. Coyote because he's older. He always comes back when shit goes wrong and he's always ready to like be there and ready and things may not always work out. Cause he's, you know, chopping his face open with an ax. He's in a boulder, but he's such a badass that he always comes back and it's a lot of fun. It would have been always uh, ordering rockets by mail. Mm -hmm. <laughs> It would have really been Wiley e. Coyote if the catapult just slammed into the rock <laughs> and squished it. Ah, <laughs> uh, cartoons. Um, yeah, the, Ac the Acme Corporation. What, what about you? What about you, Troy? When you were reading it and prepping it, like, what was your favorite? Where were you? Like, this moment is going to be awesome. Well, and, and I mentioned on the podcast the thing that I read that I was so excited about was the um, the choking uh, hazard episode. Where oh, you guys right. saved Sarah Morninghawk and Gormley uh, almost died. Oh, in the house, uh, in the burning house. I just loved the mechanic because there were so many different things going on, and you guys had to had to do. You had to lift the lock. You had to overcome the choking, and then you had to kill these orcs, and then you had to save uh, Sarah, who was uh, unconscious and dying, and stabilize her while the log was on fire. Everything. And the house was going to collapse in X amount of rounds. I just, I, I love when there's a lot of different things going on, and you as a team have to navigate. All right, who's going to worry about what? To me, that's that's fun. I like being a part of that as a player. So yeah. being able to run that was yeah, my you, favorite. You said at the time that that was your favorite encounter that you'd ever seen. Yeah, and I think it, I think it played out pretty well. Yeah, it was yeah. Good. I mean, Gormley almost Barely. went down. Gormley almost went down. Yeah. Were it not for a nineteen, I think. Uh, Lork carried Baron out of that house. He was unconscious. That's right. It was an intense fight. And you played. We played that one a little differently than we've been playing a lot of the other combats because we did a little more theater of the mind in that one. Right. That one was uh, off the map. I, uh, you know, we we were wondering early on: should we do maps? Is that going to slow the game down? People can't see the maps. This is obviously a, a radio play for all intents and purposes. But we've done everything on the map except you know the role playing, the detective stuff, and that one scene, a little behind the scenes of how we do things. Um, and it almost got you killed, so we, we'll never do it again. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Did that happen? Um, I want to talk about uh, this concept of like distinguishing player knowledge and character knowledge. You know, because you guys obviously, um, having played the game for various amounts of time, some of you more than others, um, you guys can come up against a creature or a situation, and you know, as the player, more than your character would actually know. Uh, how do you navigate between those two things? You know, one of the reasons, and um, Skid, a while back, you I remember you did an intro where you discussed the character backstory. And, like, the, the example that I'll bring up is just is that exactly. You talked about how you couldn't, like, 
you couldn't, you didn't want to not reveal all the cool stuff you would come up with. And if you wait too long, then it just doesn't happen. And, and you, then you lose that opportunity among your players, uh, you know, and for yourself to have these things, you know, uh, out there, the, all this cool stuff about you. And while I do think that it is kind of interesting, you know, some of the Lurk backstory that I did, I didn't talk to any of the players about. I just talked to Troy about it, and we kind of let it come out over time about his son and everything was revealed during the blah, blah, blah. But a lot of that, I think, is because, you know, you get concerned that too many players are going to use their knowledge, not their character's knowledge. But if you can be a disciplined player and not cross that line, then I highly recommend that players tell each other their entire backstory, which is something you like to do, I know. Mm-hmm. Um, but you have to make the separation. You know, the perfect example is like you have a rogue in the party and his backstory is like he has spent his entire life in and out of jail for thievery, you know, and then he gets in this group and he tells like this whole story and then the players like go, you know, and they get some loot and he's like, I'll carry it. And all the players are like, no, 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 don't let him carry it. He's a career criminal. Yeah. But it's like, no, you're, you're, but your character doesn't know that, you know? Like, you have to think, like, with the limited information your character has. Now, does that mean you can't be creative in, like, coming up with ways for your character to figure it out without it being super obvious? You know what I mean? Right. Like This guy you know, seems shady. Yeah, yeah. Can, can I do motive. A, yeah, can I do a yeah. sense motive? Yeah, roll against each other's characters and sometimes, right. you know, for skill checks and stuff. Um but I, I really do try to do that, but it, it does take a lot of discipline, and, and you can screw up. Yeah, and I, th- I mean, this talk a little bit about about metagaming is that, you know, as it's weird for me as a newer player to, like, encountering that. But one of the things I've appreciated watching you guys do is come up, up against a rule or something in the numbers, that, and, then, and then having to justify it backwards into story. Like, you, right, do, you right. do this a lot, Joe. You're like, well, you you like... You're like some stupid rule about cover or concealment. You're like, oh, well, it makes sense if you think about it like as a human being or half-orc anyway in this situation. <laughs> He's half-human. He's half-human. <laughs> like, Lower oh, half. Yeah, he would be... T- you know, <laughs> God damn it. Or I, like... God, I don't even know where I was going now. <laughs> or like, I remember whenever we get whenever we get criticals, a lot of times you guys will find some way to justify it with the story. Like, oh, look, this is a new weapon. Lork isn't, you know, isn't, isn't fully, tr- you know, he, he hasn't used the battle axe in a while. And so you kind of work backwards from the rule. Right. That's a cool thing, too, I think. I've been thinking about that for, like, failed skill checks, for example. Is they, I think, they don't necessarily reflect a failure on the player's part. They can reflect a reality in the world. So it's like, huh. if you were like trying to do a linguistics check to decipher an old manuscript or something, and you roll poorly, it doesn't mean that the player's knowledge failed them. It could mean, oh, there like there's a whole section of this that's been obscured, that's like been smeared, and it's unreadable. Oh, that's interesting. Well, you, you know, and another way to think about that is actually, um, and I'm, I'm taking this right from. Um, the uh, the creator of Burning Wheel, Luke. Um, what's yeah, his name? what's his name? Ugh. I was just talking about him today. I'm, I'm blanking. Luke, Luke uh, Burning Wheel, Luke. Yeah, Burning Wheel, Luke. I mean, that's his Twitter. So, like Burning Wheel, Luke, he has this thing, and uh, Troy, like you should seriously think about this because I try to do it too, but it's tough. Luke Crane. Luke yes, Crane. Luke yep. Crane. Yeah. Uh, it is that failures should not necessarily mean a null result. It isn't a failed skill roll. You're trying to read the manuscript but you fail the skill roll and say for the purposes of the story, you know, as the DM, it would be great if they could translate this right now because they'd learn some really cool shit. Right. Well, you just let them like translate it, but then an orc busts through the door. 
Right, right. Uh, you yeah. know what I mean? Like stuff like that. Or like you failed your climb check. You really need to climb that wall or else I can't get that door open. The adventure just stops. So it's like, yeah, you succeed at the climb check. But when you get to the top, like you tw- you twist your wrist and you have a minus one to hit for a day or whatever. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, like, no, that's very interesting. Shit like that. And that's how he, that's how he always does his, his games. And I thought that that was a really smart way to go about it. Yeah, I like that. And then I think the only time it has really popped up to where we let our prior knowledge dictate things in a way that our characters might not at level one, which would um, mean that they don't have a ton of experiences. We all said, oh, yeah, burn burn the troll. Ask the troll. Oh, Do yeah, this to the yeah, troll. yeah, yeah, yeah. So we've That's all true. fought trolls since they're so kind of stock enemies. And, and, well, actually, and we're just like, get them. Actually, I justified that to myself in that Lork had spent time with the Black Arrows and he absolutely fought trolls. Like, he was a giant hunter. You know what I mean? Up right. where they all are. That's probably something in, like, but, children's storybooks, too, when you were a kid. They yeah. were like, if you see a troll, throw fire on him. Yeah, yeah right, I mean, you know. it's like people and, know shit from fairy tales right now. It's just like, oh, take a witch, like, put her in an oven. But right. if, if, if witches and hey. trolls were actually <laughs> real, people, it's like, oh, there are actually trolls. Like, you would grow up knowing all of that stuff. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know? And true now is very militaristic. It has to be ready for any type of invasion. And the fact that they give people at their bar mitzvahs in this world a knife to kill themselves or their loved ones <laughs> with in, the ca- in case an orc shows up means it's that intense. they might know these things. Or if yeah. you need to cut some logs. I think, I think adventurers <laughs> in a fantasy setting would have way more basic knowledge than we give them credit for. It's true. Because it's they true. aren't just plopped into this, like, planet you know from like our this, right like right just a dragon's cartoon like they've grown up here like they all they have like know. uncles that died from a troll attack yeah. right right now joe you mentioned about um you know revealing character backstory and, and you know whether or not you tell the other players or how much you tell the dm blah 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 um let's talk about that for a second now obviously in episode one we talked about um we gave a little taste of backstories and and i'm sure there's other elements um, that you guys haven't revealed to each other, and I'd like to do that. But there's one character I think we don't know very much at all about, the most mysterious character of the group, uh, Miss Gormley. <laughs> Miss Baron Redheart. Uh, Miss <laughs> Gormley Call. Uh, yeah. And uh, I, think, I think it's time, depending, if you want to, to, to kind of let, let, let loose the, uh, the backstory here a little bit. Yeah, I was. Th- I actually have been thinking about it a bunch because you know now that we've gotten to the end of the book, I was like, this whole thing started by at this like stupid hope knife ceremony, and Gormley was in town, which she normally would not be. Right, like she would be off at the mountains with Howie, and yet, why so, was she there? Well, so I was. I've been thinking that about that a lot, and I think what it was is that Gormley has actually slipped into town every now and then to kind of like play pranks on the town. Amuse, amuse like, herself? Like, yeah, it's like so little, it's just so chaos throughout the town. And she's like she, the Grinch. She's like the Grinch. <laughs> <laughs> Up there on Mount Crumpet. <laughs> yes, but anyway, so... Well, well hold on, I'm going to cut you off just because let's talk for a second about what we know about Gormley. Like, yeah, we what know, do you know? We know that Gormley uh, was born in Trenau, for some reason left, right? Like, or, or was cast out. And is an artifact hunter. Like, that's something that you started talking about a lot during the raiding of the, the giant's tomb just uh, in the last few weeks. So, like, h- how did you get to be that? And we, uh, I don't know. That's all I know about Gormley. Well, she also hinted early on at some kind of personal history with Roderick. Oh, that's right. But, I forgot about that. Yeah, but I don't know if that's actually... Well, she, she's kind of made innuendos to a lot of the males we've met with. <laughs> so, hold on, let me do my Beth Matthew. 
It's been a long time. It's <laughs> yeah. pretty good math. Uh, but there was something specific the, about Roderick, I believe. I who, think, and she would have been much older than Roderick. She too, is older so than maybe Roderick. Maybe she was a baby, a creepy babysitter. But I think I think Roderick kind of had like the son of. It was like the like the you know he was Roderick and he was always the right yeah you know, the star quarterback of Trunell. <laughs> um, he played quarterback at Trunell High. <laughs> I know those Freedom Town jerks. <laughs> it's the Trunell Knights versus the Freedom Town jerks. Trunell homecoming. I don't want your life. <laughs> <laughs> the Last Wall Crusaders. Uh, yeah, so I think it's 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 time to uh, now. I want to like name a football team for every yeah. area. The Trunell Hope Springs. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, yeah, we need to know. We need to know what you want to something. Tell us. Give us something. So, Gormley was born in Trunell. Yeah, she never knew her father. Raised by a single mother, her father died. You know, some you know, maybe an orc raid, something. Troll, probably. Probably troll. Um, <laughs> Fell down a whale. Yeah. So she was. You know, she was in Trunell, and she was. She was kind of this uncontrollable, rambunctious kid, and she was you know running around and. Uh, anyway, as she got older, it became a little more problematic. And, you know, when she was a teenager, she started to get really into things like artifacts and stuff. And uh, and she met and fell in love with, uh, you know, a prominent son of the town. And the two of them were kind of would kind of go off and, you know, maybe the plague house and sneak off and look at stuff together. And, and bang. <laughs> I was trying to keep it PG-13, but yeah. Me for a little finger bang sesh at the Playhouse. <laughs> I found a new toy. <laughs> oh, so she's an artifact hunter. Wait, okay. is that why all those hope knives were just laying around that place? <laughs> oh, Ooh, that oh, got, that's oh, dark. That hilt. No, 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 the hilts, not the oh, blade. Oh, gotcha, gotcha. You find a string oh, of so anal beads that are all pearls of power. <laughs> <laughs> all right. That's not where you're supposed to keep it? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so the two of them, you know, they got a little more, you know, they got pretty intense together and Gormley was dipping a little farther into magic maybe than he was comfortable with. And obviously she was very young and didn't have a lot of control. Um, and so there was uh, an encounter where they came upon, you know, a crime happening. And, uh, you know, Troy and I have discussed a little bit about what this was, but basically there was, you know, a, a guy in the town taking advantage of a younger girl and Gormley and her boyfriend were there and, you know, intervened. And was it Roderick? It was not Roderick. Okay. <laughs> um, you know, Gormley is like, Gormley is 40. So this would be like, Roderick would have been a kid when she left. Right. Right. This right, is when right. she was like, 15. Gormley is aged really poorly. Well, the mountains are hard places. to. Yeah. Right. <laughs> no, I agree. Um, and when they intervened, Gormley tapped into this power that she didn't know how to control and things got kind of out of hand and, Something tragic happened, we'll say. And when the the town found out, you know, the pressure was on the boyfriend to kind of point the finger at Gormley and distance himself. And he did. He betrayed her. Right, because he belonged to like a noble house. He was a, a no nobler house. And this she was fuck. And Gormley was very working class and, you know, definitely like he was you know, he was slumming a little bit with Gormley and his family pressured him to betray her and he did. And the town basically gave Gormley the choice to either, you know, leave or submit herself to justice, and her mother sided with the town. So Gormley had literally no Whoa. one. And so she wow. left. And so she Where's left. her mother? I think she's dead by now. Okay. Can I just say that um, I might not be alone. Some of our listeners might also think this. This sounds a lot like Rogue's early life from X-Men, the animated series. 
I'm not. I'm not making a total joke. This is not. She. That's from Matthew. Got all she, she kissed a boy. So you're she just uh, accusing him of plagiarism? <laughs> no, 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 not at all. There's only so many stories. We're all copying Shakespeare after a while. I mean, he was know. copying too. But it was like you were blamed. You had to shoulder the blame for all of this happening. Sorry for bringing it up. It yeah, was, was and a, doing something. And yes, like things got out of hand and out of control, and she needed to hurt somebody. But then she was stopping a crime from happening. Yeah, so it was unfair. It was a witch hunt. It was a witch hunt. She was vilified. How do you you feel about this guy? Oh, go ahead, Skip. Whatever doesn't make you, whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's like a crucible. Yes. And and I think to to Gormley's credit. you certainly are stronger now. Well, yeah, to her credit, I think she was like, fuck all of you. I'm going to go like find a way to make my own life. And then ended up up in the mountains doing her own thing. And that was very hard and, you know, kind of. Well, yeah, but then we still have another what, 15, 20 years unaccounted for, which we can fill in as we go. Fill in as we go, but yeah. Yeah, but I wanted to know the incident that got her cast out, and I did not know. I kind of thought that Troy was putting you on the spot there and that you didn't actually know. Without that you just sort of like made it. Oh, yeah, I wouldn't at all. <laughs> you really, that's awesome. No, it's all improv. Matthew, what, so to this, to this day, what, what do you think Gormley feels about this guy? Because he must still be around true now unless he's dead. I mean, if he's your age. I mean, I think I, as we saw a little bit when Gormley encountered the girl who had been, you know, the girl and her mother who were almost very nearly raped by orcs. Mm-hmm. Like, she feels very strongly about mm. getting even. And I think, yeah, to to Grant's point, I mean, rage is certainly a part of it. It's like just com- this complete and utter betrayal by the entire, everybody she knew, literally everybody she knew. Yeah, nobody sided with her. Nobody. nobody. And because they were all freaked out by the, like what she had done. I wonder how it crosses over with Lork, because we're the two older characters. So I wonder if Lork was there at that time or if he was already gone at that time. You, probably, have, you were probably with the Black Arrows. Serving in the Black time. Arrows. Yeah, I, I probably was, I, I would it, think. That, would have, that the timelines would line up. Well, no, way. we're actually, well, we're, of, we're of a similar age. I don't, well, you know what? He no, probably would have been she, sent out there. You were a teenager when you got cast that's out. True, yeah, 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 that's true. Yeah, um, I would have been 14 it, or 15. It would have been really funny if Lork really <laughs> liked Gormley when she was, you know, relatively normal. And like she <laughs> cast him aside and, and then said no to his advances. And now they're fighting shoulder by shoulder <laughs> as much different people. That'd be great. She was hoping that Lork would ask her to prom. <laughs> uh, that's, but the other, the other answer to your question is that, I mean, well, up this, until sorry. this moment when she became part of this party this this little this community the only ever other person she'd ever gotten that close to before was this guy like that he was the only one she ever shared that interest in right, magic and right, artifacts right. with as she was blossoming in, blossoming into a woman yeah. <laughs> that sounded so terrible well now you can understand mouth. why she's so weird i think a little bit and pissed you know yeah, right. to have your whole like imagine imagine everyone in your town turning against you including your your own mother and casting you out she's like ali sheedy in breakfast club yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's why she's just running around, cackling around the battlefield. She has to laugh, <laughs> or she'll cry. You gotta laugh, or <laughs> she'll cry, or she'll weep. One of you mentioned before about geography. I think it was Grant, and and we've had some 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 fans write in uh, asking more about the geography because if you don't play Pathfinder and if you're not familiar with the world of Galarian, this might be interesting for all of three minutes, uh, which is all I'm going to give you, Joe, to talk about the geography before our subscribership plummets. <laughs> uh, but no, I think it's important, especially now where this there's this element that maybe these four heroes will be leaving the walls of True Now. And what what does this world look like? 
Yeah, I think that it's important to me because it is, I always go into games like this and I go into like, you know, when I've dabbled in like, you know, writing stuff, I, I wrote my fantasy short story or whatever, da, da, da. like one of the first things I do is like, I need a map. Like I need to see it. I need to see where things are happening. You know, I mean, how many fantasy novels out there do you like pick up at the bookstore and you open it up and if there's a map in the front, you're like, all right, I'm in. So <laughs> this guy gets it, you know, like, uh, and so, yeah, so just to give a, a really brief overview view of, uh, of kind of, you know, what the world looks like, not the whole world, but like kind of where we're at. Think of it like Europe. It's very simply Europe. That's, that's really what it is. And mm-hmm. uh, there's a, a giant place called the Inner Sea Region, and that's like the Mediterranean Sea. And we're north of that in what is like Europe. And you keep going up as if you went up from like France, right? Straight up through. But if there wasn't the, um, the, uh, Baltic the, sea. the Baltic Sea up there and it was all land, you know, uh, that's kind of where we are. It's up around where, like, Norway might be if there was just all water and it wasn't too, too cold yet. Mm-hmm. That's where we're at. So we're, like, straight up off of there. And if you go straight south from Trunau, it is kind of Frenchish, Italianish. There's a lot of, like, warm, climatey, uh, very uh, civilized, uh, extremely, like, advanced cities with, you know, like lots of trading and, and, uh, you know, uh, seaside port cities, various like, cheeses. Like, right. Exactly. Like, you know, you are, that all we are and, to you, Troy? Uh, <laughs> lots of art and all that kind of shit. But up here it's, it, it reminds me a little bit of like old Germania, you know, kind of thing where it's like, it's like wild and there's a lot of, the there's, you know, they're orcs, but yeah, they're basically like, you know, an, an allegory for Visigoths and that kind of thing where like there was, those were the places you didn't go. Like if you were in Rome, it was like you didn't just like travel up to Germania. And that's sort of the way I think about Belkson. You know, it's like yeah. it's an allegory for that kind of thing. So where we are in Trunau and this idea of going to the Mindspin Mountains, they are to the southwest of Trunau. Trunau represents the southernmost point of all of Belkson where all these orcs are. So if we keep going up north toward the North Pole, we're going to run into a whole bunch of, uh, of orc bands and orc tribes. But I think that, and we're tucked right into these Mindspin Mountains. So I think we might be moving out a little bit southwest. We're right in the foothills. Yeah, right in the foothills of these mountains. And this mountain range is huge. It goes, uh, like, it's southwest from us, but then it curves up to the northwest. It curves, and then it goes far down south as well and kind of splits into those lower, warmer climate countries that I was telling you about. Uh, And it is, uh, um, if you read up on it, the Mindspin Mountains are like, extremely dangerous, just populated with giants and trolls and orc tribes. And it's, it's, it's a violent, nasty place. And Lork has, has been there. You know, I, when I think about them, I think about Lork after his injury being released from the Black Arrows with this child that he basically had to like carry. And he had to like hike on foot through the Mindspin Mountains to get back to Trunau right. from where he was. And honestly, like story-wise, I don't even know how he did it. Like I'm, st- I'm amazed at him as a character because I can't figure out how he did it without dying because it's it's a brutal area and that's where we're heading. I like this idea that Lork used to be maybe 12th or 13th level and then over time he sort of uh, right. went back down to first level <laughs> and now is yeah. regaining all his knowledge yeah. Yeah, in yeah, the yeah. field. Um, that's cool. And, and, and Grant, just very briefly talk about this sky citadel thing that you're interested in, and the mind spins. One quick thing to talk about and touch on that, um, Joe brought up is that even if we run into giants, the mind spin mountains as massive as there are, um, are home to a wide variety of giants from fire giants to hill giants to this kind of giant. So we could, we could come on a relatively advanced civilization 
at some point it's possible yeah. that might deal with us or at least tolerate us and, and that could lead to something cool um but uh at the northeasternmost range of the Mindspin mountains is where the capital of Belkson is uh, it's called Urgir which means first home um it was actually founded by Belkson the orc um who was trying to reclaim lands um from the dwarves and and civilized people that had taken it from them at that point <clears throat> and he actually took over one of the 10 sky citadels which are incredible structures with 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 which the dwarves first started their civilization on the surface of the earth after leaving the core um and so that's huge and it has been so long since that happened that the only people who would even think um, that this was previously a dwarvish place are orcs that live there because it's still cluttered with dwarven runes and, and their their re- religiosity and their history carved into the very rock. Um, but also dwarves themselves who still feel the loss of this place very deeply. So it's a place that I think... Baron would very much like to get to. What's great about this campaign and this campaign setting in Belkson is it has, it's not just like a barren wasteland like Siberia. It has so much potential to go any direction, and I'm so excited for the next books. And only I know where it goes. <laughs> this is true. This is true. Um, that was good. That was uh, that was interesting. Um, hopefully nobody turned off the podcast. Um, <laughs> talking about geography, but here's another uh, little wrinkle we'll throw at you listeners, uh, just to make sure you stop listening altogether. I think it's important, you know, as well as the geography, to talk about the history of how this world happened. Uh, so, uh, Skid, I'm going to give you the same restrictions as Joe. Eh, three minutes or so to give give the fans a little uh, a little a little idea of what. How Galarian came to be. Okay. Uh, well, the history of this fictional history of the world goes back something like 15, 16,000 years uh, when the world was dominated. This part of the world was dominated by an ancient empire called the Thessalonian Empire, which was a human empire and was thoroughly wicked. And they were basically, they were war. Like Greeks. Yeah, exactly like modern Greece. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't want to bring race into it, but yeah, they, they are. They're just like modern Greece. Their financial um, systems are very unstable. Yeah. And so they're basically at war with the elves until all of a sudden the elves left. And no one at the time knew where they went. And shortly after that, there was an event called Earthfall where this meteor, meteorite, basically, this massive meteorite fell to Earth and destroyed the other major empire in the world, the Aslanti uh, civilization, which you may recognize that that name. Uh, it was an island nation out in the middle of the ocean. Um, <laughs> and so, after, so that destroyed, like the resulting cataclysm destroyed the Thessalonian Empire and changed the shape of the world. And it caused a kind of a nuclear winter, um, some like 9,600 years ago from the present. So during that darkness, that time of darkness, uh, there were all these creatures that lived in the Underdark, which Grant mentioned, under the Earth, mostly dwarves and orcs. Dwarves lived deeper, and they heard about what had happened up top, and they began what they called the quest for sky. And they were like, this, we are going to colonize, we're going to take advantage. Now that the humans are Now that the humans are, like, decimated, we're going to take our rightful place uh, on the surface. But to do that, they had to get through the orcs. And in the process, they pushed the orcs up onto the surface, too. 
And so there was just a massive uh, battle between uh, dwarves and orcs. And the, the orcs were able to survive on the surface too, as much as they liked the darkness, because of the permanent twilight conditions called, caused by this nuclear winter type situation. So this is where Beltson is where the dwarves and the orcs emerged. And eventually the orcs were able to overcome the dwarves, like Grant was talking about. They took over the Sky Citadel. And uh, there was a warlord named Belkson who like expanded the borders. He was the only person who was able to, by sheer force of will, band all these fighting tribes together and like make war in the surrounding areas. He was killed, the border shrunk. They've gone backwards and forwards like over the centuries and different tyrants warlords have like come in and used the orcs for their own purposes the whispering tyrant is one uh it was basically kind of like sauron and uh he was defeated by the shining crusade and uh their dragons have like tried to like take advantage of them um and so now you have the situation where the only thing keeping the orcs in check is the fact that they still fight against each other if they didn't do that if they were to unify again every, the 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 world political situation is such that they could sweep over all of Galarian if there was just something to unify them. And Grask Uldeth, the current ruler of uh, Urgir, yeah, he is currently attempting to put some form of civility upon them and to to kind of band them together. And the fact that this kind of um, arranged and premeditated plot against true now happened um i don't know if it's directly related to that but it means that they're cooperating a little bit more we've been we'll learn more about the different clans um that were involved in playing this attack but it's really interesting to think about yeah yeah any any hints of orc cooperation is terrifying I gotta be a complete fucking loser because I could have listened to you talk all day. <laughs> <laughs> I find that fascinating. Yep, yep. I don't know. It's just that's so interesting. Oh, I can well, talk and, about uh, the death of Aridin and Starfall. Oh, and all yeah. That. You know, but it, it is. It is to me. It's great to know the history. Like you get to know a little yeah. bit about the history about what you're going, you know, through here. And all of a sudden, you see this picture of the orcs that you see a little picture of their history. It makes a little more sense. Why are they here? What are they doing? It's like oh. Okay, so the dwarves drove them out, and they've been warring ever since, trying to fight for their own place ever since. Well, if you don't know history, you're doomed to pee on it. <laughs> that is they what say. they say. I think I read that in a fortune cookie. <laughs> um, so um, since your characters are still alive, um, you're now fourth level. Yeah. You, you did it. You're real characters now. Uh, don't you feel like fourth level is a, is a rite of passage? Sure is. Yeah, it's my favorite time in a character's existence. Is like between like fourth and eighth level. Yeah, you know they're so they're not so overpowered that you can't relate to them, but they're like powerful enough that they can do a lot of really. But they're cool huge stuff. badasses compared to regular like common citizens. Yeah, it's like you graduated from high school. Right, they're and not as annoying as the teenage levels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right, where they break out. Yeah. Um, now, did you, any of you guys? Here's the million dollar question because you, you 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 you're fourth level now. Did any of you take a new class? Did any of you multi class? Yep. What you did? I did. Really. <laughs> Yeah, I took a level in fighter. Galapagos, oh, oh. you motherfucker! Because you got yeah. that armor. Because you... I got the armor and the hammer, and I can't use either of them if I just stay with cleric. So right. I just wanted to take one level of fighter, 
just to kind of fortify my combat skills, and then I'll go right back. And my plan is to go right back to cleric. It's called a it's called a dip. The right? old dip. dip. Yeah, I think. But I mean, it makes sense. Galabras is you know obviously he had seen some shit on his way to Trunau, but now he was like in the thick of battle. And he must have realized, like, I gotta, I gotta learn, learn how to fight. I gotta learn <laughs> how to fight. Well, I think it's it's more kind of a natural progression of what he's experienced rather than a conscious choice, like on his part. Right. He's just been through so much combat that he's kind of learned those. He's skills. He's developed those skills. Yeah, yeah. Um, any other multi-classers? No. Okay. I was very close. Oh, you're not doing it. God damn it, Grant. <laughs> I talk was, so much shit about that rogue level. Well, <laughs> I wanted to see it. This is just like when you got a bottle cap for my skill. When you talked about my kit, no, I'm just uh, sneak attack. No, I was I was thinking about doing sneak, sneak attack. attack. It um, and it would also give us disable device um, and trap finding to an extent that we wouldn't have. Um, but gunslingers, they're a confusing class, and there's a lot of misinformation information about them, but. In order for me to become another damage-dealing person that can really contribute to the party in a meaningful way, not that we're min-maxing, we're not doing that, we're avoiding that, and we're doing flavor choices and things that are fun, um, I really need to progress. But I think at 8th level, if I do do it, 7th um, level, I have a, an ability called Disarming Shot, which will make characters flat-footed with no save. So if I make a character flat-footed with no save and I have a level of rogue, I can just walk up behind them and then add sneak attack damage, like, super easy. So. Pretty pretty sweet. Yeah. But you want to get to the level where you can add your dex bonus as damage, too, before you do anything. Fifth right? level. Fifth, Fifth level. level. So I really need to be able to add that as a consistent type of thing. That makes sense. So after level five, stay tuned for possible, possibly a rogue level for Baron. <laughs> Assuming he's alive. Or Monk. Or <laughs> Monk. Monk is the other. Monk. Hand to hand combat. Kung Fu. Little shoot you, get up close, punch you, and then uh, you're dead. Yeah. Unarmed uh, strike. Let's, yeah. like we do all the time, and obviously let's keep it free if I don't care about your, uh, I don't know, a plus four will save. Uh, what? Uh, talk to me about your new powers at fourth level. Um, Lork, you're, you're, a, you're a fourth level ranger now. What, what, do you get anything cool? No. Nothing. Yeah, it's it's not really uh, a big level for for rangers. Uh, yeah, I'm one level away from my second favorite enemy, which I'm super excited about. But uh, yeah, no, you can you can move on. Though uh, what I realized right now, looking at the the numbers tonight, because I got the uh, some you know I have masterwork weapons now and stuff, mm -hmm. is uh, I have now with the weapons that I'm using, I've doubled my attack bonus from the when we first started. So when I was first level and I was rolling my d20 to hit guys, it was plus four to hit. So I was hoping to roll like 11 or higher, you know what I mean? And now I'm plus eight to wow. hit. So if I go up against those like regular orcs and stuff and roll like a seven or even an eight, you know, or whatever against uh, on a D20, I'm going to hit melee. So like he's just going to do a lot of melee damage. Oh, and also at fourth level, you get an ability point. Oh, so, yes, that's so a major thing. You, you all get that. Yeah. Right. So, you, you know, we've yeah. been talking a lot about strength and decks and constitution and everything. And you can kind of put something, in, uh, put a number in there to start increasing those. And that is a really tough decision because it only comes once every four levels. So four, eight, 12, 16, and then 20. And 
You never get to 20. Uh, I've never gotten to 16. So it's <laughs> it's sort of like a, a very rare thing, and I ended up putting it in decks, actually, for Lork. So I'm not going to max his his strength. I'm going to try to get him even better at the bow. I want him to be a really good range character now that uh, Galabras is our frontline fighter. <laughs> right, and, and ability points, if, if you're not aware, like you have, what, five, uh, six main stats? Yeah, it's strength, dex, intelligence, wisdom, constitution, charisma. Right, and you kind of roll for those when you create your character, and those are your numbers. And then every four levels, you can add one more point to one of them. It's and it, it it's take, always a tough choice. It takes two points in any given attribute to actually have a benefit. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so if you had a 17 strength, you definitely made it an 18 because that's when you're going to get your uh, right. Exactly. Points. And so I had a I had a six or a 14 deck, so I put one in it. Now it's 15, so I will absolutely be putting another one in it at eighth level and then I'll get it to 16 and then my AC will go up my to hit with my bow will go it's up huge. my stealth will go up my like a lot of things go up at eighth level if you go on that path so yeah I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to it what about Gormley anything uh, new some new hexes not a huge level for witches either the biggest thing is you get a new hex so Gormley ha- now has prehensile hair yeah what so basically she- uh, for a number of minutes per day, she can grow her hair out. And actually, you can use your facial hair if you're a man, or your eyebrows, if you're, <laughs> or anything really, um, any hair. Uh, but yeah, you can grow it up to like <laughs> ten leg f- hair. You can go up to ten feet. It can do a number of things. It can manipulate. It can't manipulate weapons, but I think it can hold wands for you. And you can also oh, wow. really. Touch, it, you can it, deliver touch range touch attacks. You can deliver. You can wow. Uh, you can also attack with your hair, and its strength bonus is equal to your intelligence bonus. Oh! So my hair is much stronger than I am. What's the reach on your hair? Ten feet. Oh, so that's huge! Awesome. Yeah, so it's pretty cool. Bride of Frankenstein. You can actually reload your gun with a prehensile hair. So <laughs> I've, been thinking, awesome. I've been thinking about that for a long time. <laughs> and if you're a tiefling. Uh, you can actually wield another weapon with, with your, your tail. Yeah. yeah. And That's load and do all cool. that stuff. So it's pretty uh, cool. Interesting. All right, Corbs. Um, what about Baron? Anything new at level four for a gunslinger? So I, I guess the most interesting thing is that on this kind of feet treadmill that is being a Reg character, you want to start with, uh, you know, point blank range, and then you have options there. You can go for. Um, uh, what's the accuracy one? Precise uh, shot. Precise shot. Um, or you can take something like deadly aim. Um, I took deadly aim instead of that, which is basically power attack for range characters. So I take minus two to hit, plus four damage with less to hit, and that gets more in line with kind of the gunslinger archetype and kind of how I act on the battlefield. So. I'll eventually take precise shot, but I feel like he's still so foolhardy and will get himself into daring acts all the time that he would be more likely to focus on having maybe less consistent, but more punishing deadly aim. Right. Um, and now Gel, the new the new fighter. What uh, what's in Gel's bag of tricks? Well, I took a because you get a bonus when you take a level of fighter. You get a your first level of fighter, you get a bonus combat feat. Huge. So I took rapid reload for the crossbow. Oh. So I can reload my crossbow as a swift action rather than a move action, which I figure will be helpful. Um, I can also, you know, I can use, I can wear my new uh, armor of Uskroth without penalty. I can wield the hammer of Uskroth without penalty. And for the 
attribute point, I invested it in strength. Now, if we were min-maxing, I would have invested it in wisdom because I'm at 17 wisdom and another point would put me at 18. It could be a plus four as my bonus instead of plus three. The reason I didn't do that is because when we were initially creating the characters, I misunderstood your instructions and I thought we weren't supposed to, you said you can't, you said you can't have an attribute more than 16. I thought you couldn't invest more than 16 points. So I, inve- I invested 15, and then I put my racial plus two bonus into wisdom side so of 17 instead of a 16. Uh, but I never said anything because I didn't want to remake my character. <laughs> so instead of basically cheating, uh, I'm going <laughs> to fuck myself by giving me a, a point of strength, uh, which doesn't do anything for me, but I figured it fits more with the character. Oh, nice. Look at you. Very Look at that. Look at Skid. Um, you guys got a lot of treasure, obviously, and I, uh, I told you all about that, um, and you sold a lot of it uh, very quickly. I'm sure you guys did a little shopping. Any cool new items? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well, uh, I, I mean, Lork, uh, yeah. The room. I, I'll just say real quick, uh, Lork is going into book two uh, just like with completely new weaponry. Completely new weaponry, and it isn't better. It's just different, uh, okay. and so uh, I'm I'm kind of excited. It was, you know, some tough choices because I didn't get any magical weapons or armor. So I, I have the same armor. I don't have any magical weapons, but uh, uh, Screed, which we didn't say on air, we found out later, was wielding a uh, falchion shocker, but it was a <laughs> uh, it was a masterwork cold iron falchion right and so cold iron is this like uh, material that is like deep in the earth like this like extremely hard metal blah blah whatever and it you know we talked about dr a lot and bypassing damage resistance and there are some monsters out there that can only be hurt by cold iron yeah and they're pretty rare and we might never come across one but if we it's do like silver for werewolves or like right. Right. And, right and if we do i'll have one so i have one now which is cool and uh, and i'm back so i'm off the great axe i'm back to the falchion it does a little bit less damage but it has a higher chance to critically hit, which I would I want to do more crits. Is that two handed? Yeah. Oh, so you have uh, more chance to crit yourself again. <laughs> <laughs> nice. God damn it. Fingers uh, crossed. This is true. Uh, and then so and then I also took we found in that pile in Let's Cross Pile we found a masterwork flail and I took that because I was like you know what I want to have a bludgeoning weapon on me. Because oh, that's if good. we come across yeah. any more skeletons, that's I really, want to be uh, able to smash something uh, <laughs> with the blunt side of a flail. It's great, too, because you have the quick draw, so you can switch on I can fly switch boom, 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 between great. my weapons, that's which great. would be that's cool. Great. And uh, I took my money that I got, and I upgraded from... Uh, Started a scholarship in just son's name. <laughs> <laughs> true Now High. To true Now High. <laughs> United, you donated it to the United half Orc College This Fund. is the Jason wing. <laughs> uh, the, new so, weight room, the new weight room for the football team. <laughs> uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know if we have time. I'm, I'm hoping we do. Maybe, maybe for a little flare. I don't know how long it would take. Maybe a couple days. Uh, basically, he went to Sarah Morninghawk, and he took his old uh, Black Arrow longbow that uh-huh. he had that he dusted off and he brought out when he first went to the Plague House. Because uh, he's got a, you know, a serious attachment to that bow, but he went and took it to her for some serious uh, upgrades. And they sort of reset uh, the wood and they put some um, strengthening materials in there and, and uh, did a few different things. So now I have a, I turned that bow into a masterwork 
plus three strength bonus composite longbow. So, nice. Uh, yeah, so with the uh, two attacks, uh, I actually have now bonus to the damage. Oh. So, yeah. That's great. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited. Gormley, any new items? Uh, Gormley went a little shopping for some scrolls, and oh. then she and Howie had a little powwow. <laughs> and uh, Howie ate some scroll paste. <laughs> and now, it was just, so just a couple level one spells, but... That's really. I mean, I'm, what spells? Uh, Do you want to save ask. them for when they come up, or? No, I can tell you. I, I took enlarge person. Yeah, Ooh. I love that. <laughs> yeah, right. So now we're gonna have a giant Calabrus and a giant Lork yeah. well, side could, by you side. You can double my size when I'm enlarged. So you go. <laughs> so I can be like 25 feet tall. <laughs> oh my Sheepers. God. That'd be great. That'd be fun. Your, I was gonna, your weapon now to 66. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I thought about taking reduced person so I could give it to Grant and increase his dex, but I figured that might make him too small to see. Make him a halfling. <laughs> it's a little two foot tall Muppet. Oh, champ! <laughs> hey, fellas! Bang! Uh, <laughs> bang, bang! You may be green on the outside, but I know you're pink on the inside. <laughs> the other one was uh, uh, just in inflict light wounds because now, as a level two spell, Gormley has spectral hand. So she can deliver. You can do range oh, so touch attacks with your hand from far away. Far away. Oh, awesome! So you don't have to be cool. the frontline fighter anymore. Yeah. yeah so <laughs> as a witch. Yeah. Basically, when you're inflicting light wounds, you touch something and suck its life force right out of it. But when you have spectral hand, there's like this ghostly hand that does it from far away, gently touches something and sucks the life right out of it. Love it. I could also do it with my hair or Howie. <laughs> nice. Oh, true. Nice. nice. Yeah, hey, Howie survived too. Howie survived. Howie. Howie was never really in danger in, in all these episodes. Well, you, apparently, yeah. with those critical cards, he was. We really should have <laughs> yeah. right, fucking right. shot him. Thanks uh, a lot, Steve. Baron, anything? <laughs> uh, any new shopping items? Outside of the belt of heavy load, which is kind of gross sounding, um, <laughs> <laughs> I um, am actually looking at uh, crafting a new gun. Oh, um, so you're saving some money. You're saving. Saving some money, and I'm hoping that I can do a bit of a collabo with uh, my my casting friends on making a wondrous gun mm-hmm. that could have some magic damage to it as well. Yes. Oh. I'm, looking, um, I'm looking at, obviously, a submachine gun is beyond our time. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm currently looking with at. With a compressor on the front yeah. of it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Try shot <laughs> black powder Uzi. That cool. I'm looking at um, a uh, double barreled pistol, which is really cool because you can fire each trigger independently as two separate attacks, or you can fire them both at once mm. at a bit mm. of a penalty. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. Um, and by the time I get into multiple attack rounds, like being able to That's four free shots. reload, yeah, it's <laughs> expensive. Bang, bang, bang. I'm just shooting my child's college fund out of my gun. Every <laughs> <time>. <laughs> uh, and uh, Gal, did you get anything? Or you're saving money, right? I no, I didn't really have anything to buy because I I was gifted the wondrous like uh, yeah, I was looking at the like the price for that armor, like I putting it in PC Gen. Like, I'm carrying, like, 150,000 gold pieces of equipment right now based on how powerful these items are. So I was gifted these this wondrous, like, items, this, this incredible armor and this massive, this great hammer. So I'm good. <laughs> no shit. So we, we could have had those wondrous items this, this level. 
but we just have your armor. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's yeah. so funny, and too. And you also have the best magical item in the known world, as yep. far as you know. Yep, yeah. <laughs> the, the most, like, item-dependent classes are typically fighters. Is, am I incorrect in saying that? Uh, yeah. I feel like they, uh, they need, like, the Frostblade Worm plus five, but taking it as a cleric is kind of neat, and I'm glad you took that dip. Um, yeah, yeah. Speaking of dips, I think it's time to dip into a little bit of book two. Yes. yes. You sons you. of bitches. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, so if you uh, stuck with us, thanks for sticking with us. If you skipped to this. <laughs> skipped ahead to this point. Uh, here's, Welcome. Here's a very little bit of book two. Um, oh, this is exciting. Finished reading it, and I'm just like, I just want to tell you guys all that happens. Why don't, we, why don't I just tell you book two, and then we'll start book three? Yeah, yeah. just describe the plot. And all right. we'll it opens it. with Lork's death. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> I knew it. <laughs> He's being paraded throughout the town. Um, obviously, sorry. So last time we, when we wrapped, uh, Halgra came to you guys at the sanctuary with Silvermane, Jagrin, and Cursed was was there, and we're like, we need to talk to you guys. Um, obviously, take some time to enjoy uh, your status as heroes. But when you're ready, come to the Ivory Hall to meet with the Council of Defenders. We have a proposition for you. We're taking the fight to them. Blah, blah, blah. Um, so you guys walk outside. There's big fanfare. And you guys have a few days to yourself to take care of business, to do your shopping that you've already done off air, obviously. And, uh, and then you will reconvene, I'm assuming, if you're, if you're all up to the task of taking, at least taking a meeting. Uh, <laughs> I take a take a meeting meeting uh, at the Ivory Hall. So can we order lunch? Can we do make it a lunch meeting? Uh, <laughs> they're like, I, I guess we can get some pizzas. How many pizzas? Uh, there's six council members. Four, I'm, uh, four of them coming. No, no gluten. Does the scorpion eat? Uh, all right, seven, seven, seven large. Seven large. You guys like toppings? Throwing a scroll. S- sort of a level zero. Silvermane's a vegetarian. Yeah, silver. S- fucking druids, right? Yep. Mm. We gotta have a salad. Hagra's yeah. uh, all. She's a celiac. Um, (laughs) all those years of drinking orc cum (laughs) I didn't know there was a side effect yep uh, that escalated uh, quickly. Yep, I had to make this episode a little exciting. Uh, let me let me ask you this: Is there anything? You say you guys have two or three days. Is there anything your characters need to do business wise before you meet up uh, at the at the Ivory Hall? Talk to me. Yeah. What's what's Galabras got to do? Galabras is off to the gym. <laughs> yeah, well, actually, that is that is one thing he's going to do is like he's going to take a lot of time in the practice yard with Lork and anyone else who will like work out with him just to like kind of work on his fighting craft, to kind of get a, get his that justify that fighter. And role. you know what? I imagine that there's like militia members and stuff now that are like want to train with Lork and Galabras. Like they like kind of hang out and like glom yeah. on and like want to like train with us. Yeah, <laughs> oh, yeah. Cause we're like celebrities yeah, we're in like the town. Local, local celebs. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, they're, uh, everyone's chomping at the bit to just kind of hang out with you guys. Yeah. If you're, if you're at the local pub, if the killing grounds is being rebuilt, if you guys are there, Baron hanging out there, free drinks, oh, for yeah, life. free drinks for life. Every time you like look over, someone's staring at you and they just kind of quickly look back. Like you're be cool, man. Be cool. You're a big deal. <laughs> um, all right, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Galabras. Uh, the other thing I, I really want to do, Galabras was really affected a lot by everything he saw. I mean, just thinking about just everything that we encountered in that cave, 
what an archaeological find that was. It was so Raiders of the Lost Ark. And and we did exactly what Indiana Jones was doing. We, we just looted it and just like dragged everything out without any regard for any like uh, scientific principle. Um, but especially like, uh, like I said at the end of the last episode, finding those items in that chest that seem to have been fated to be delivered to us at this time. So he has gone into the archives of the sanctuary and anywhere that will let him like look at their, their scrolls. And he's studying up on geography, history, any clue about any mention about something like this happening. And he's reading up on everything that we've encountered. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So he's, he's smart. He's yeah. Building his knowledge base. So looking that at maps, when they encounter like just, shit in the wild. It's yeah. so cool that Troy. Like, I read you, about this. It's so cool that Troy will give you a plus two bonus on all your knowledge <laughs> now because of that. It's funny. I mean, it's more. It's a, he's really generous. Is like there that. another Troy here? <laughs> it's a it's a flavor thing to justify my roles. I, I did like invest skill points in this stuff. But sure. You know. Yeah. Oh, I liked. I love that. It and maybe makes, occasionally in the library, you look up and see lurking in like the stack somewhere. It's like Gormley sitting down, petting petting Howie, and looking up, and then she disappears <laughs> <laughs> behind a stack. Yeah. Gormley, wait. I, oh, she's gone again. Uh, Gormley, where are you staying during these few days before the meeting? Do you go back to your mountain hut to kind of check in on your plants? <laughs> you mean the crabgrass I'm growing up in the... I think so, yeah. I, don't, I think Gormley has uh, been lurking around the town a little bit. She's uncomfortable with the spotlight. Uh-huh. But uh, the thing I was alluding to earlier is that Gormley has been back to the town before, and Gormley uh, maybe likes her disguises a little bit. And can, if she wants to blend in, is not as not as can be not as conspicuous as she as people think. <laughs> so Gormley's just walking around town with a fake mustache. <laughs> <laughs> Hello, good sir. <laughs> Gormley, who is Gormley? <laughs> <laughs> oh, Gormley here. Um, so, so that <laughs> she was the worst. She killed that poor boy all those years ago. Um, so you're pretty much spending your your couple of days here, two or three days doing like recon slash recon. I think she also has popped low. into the library. Yeah, maybe to watch Galabras a little bit, maybe to read, maybe a little both. Right, giving get, like sliding the uh, the ar- archivist some uh, some gold to like learn a couple scrolls he might have laying around. Yeah, you never know. That makes sense. Um, Baron, what did you do? <laughs> He just went to pee. <laughs> Speak up, man. Uh, oh, you didn't do anything. I guess he said, uh, yeah. Man, uh, silent treatment from uh, Grant. Well, I don't remember that. Minus two. Uh, Lork. Passive aggressive. Lork, I feel like you, uh, you've gone through a lot, and this is the first time you've had a moment to take it all in. Yeah, I mean, could you give me, uh, you, you know, the, I, I don't see any need to, like, role play a bunch of stuff, but um, can you just give me some idea what happened with, like, the dead? of Trunau, like was there a, a ceremony or a memorial or ha- has it not happened yet? Um, well, you know? in, in Trunau, what they do is they take, like they took Jason's body out and they tied each of his limbs to a horse <laughs> and then just random, random in each direction. <laughs> like, I'm actually trying to be, <laughs> I'm actually trying to like play the game. <laughs> I'm just role playing. <laughs> it's Trunau in tradition. You should know that. Matt, well, I'm sorry I brought uh, it up. No, you uh, asked me. <laughs> well, the uh, the next day would have been um, the burial service for mm-hmm. Jason. Okay. Um, now there were various burial services going on around town, and it wasn't like a huge 
fanfare for your son. No, no. You know what I mean? Like everyone's burying their dead. Like those, uh, that mother and daughter are burying Carl. Uh, other the the poor toddler. So it's mostly separate. It isn't like one service that's like covering. For right. Everybody. Yeah. They they didn't have like a. Uh, they're probably gonna have something later in in the week in the big amphitheater that you guys were in to like, uh, you know, like a. <laughs> the only thing I could think of is like what they do on nine eleven every year where they read all the names of the dead, like mm-hmm. something like oh, that. Oh yeah. Um, so they don't just dump all the bodies into a giant slip trench and no no <laughs> set it on fire. <laughs> Shoot an arrow at a Viking funeral. Uh, no, so so like, you know, you could bring Jason outside of the walls or near your old house, and uh, they they have people helping everyone. You know, uh, townspeople helping, and you had the the service for Jason. I don't know if you invited these guys to it, if it was kind of a private thing, but that happened the next day. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? Then, if it's if it's up to me, then I'm going to make it sort of a private thing, uh-huh. and uh, and I'm going to go outside the walls. Like, if I can go outside the walls, then I just I have this image of um, you know Lork kind of like going out there, maybe on horseback or something like with Jason's body, and like uh, digging you know a grave himself in a place where like there are other bodies or whatever, a right, cemetery right. that's outside the walls, and uh, and just sort of like quietly doing this himself, and and um. You know, there's two main things. It's like he, he buries them, but, you know, for Lork, it's like, you know, Galabras was talking about, like, all the, the treasure that he found and, and how it made him think about, like, De- Desna and the and the fate of all this kind of stuff. And one of the things that I keep, like, sticking, like, I can't, and you heard it in the last episode, like, I couldn't get over it, is, like, I can't stop thinking about, like, Screed's rationalization for everything that he did and how uh, violent and really awful Lork's youth was, you know, as a half orc and, and even in Trunau, you know, which he, which Screed considered to be like a paradise, you know what I mean? And now yeah. he's, now yeah, he's as bad as Lork's experience was, it was still so much better than what he went through. Exactly. So he's thinking about this and he's like, man, that guy had it like really, really, really bad. Right. So, um, there's a, there's a God, uh, in Galarian and, and Lork, we talked about this in like episode seven that, uh, that Lork had not had like a deity or anything like that. And mm-hmm. I really wanted to kind of focus, uh, on that. And I think this is kind of a time where like, you're starting to feel really alone. He doesn't so, like, have a son religion. anymore. Yeah. Found religion in a way. And one of the gods that was worshiped a lot, I guess, in the order of the black arrow is his name is Gorham and he's the God of war and the God of battle and shit like that. And a lot of half works worship him. And I think he saw a lot of that because, you know, the order of the black arrows is a big criminal element. You know, it's a lot of like ruffians and people that if they do have any sort of deity, they're probably praying to some sort of war God. So like, I guess basically he, he sort of like tries to talk to this God. Like he doesn't really expect anything to happen, but he prays, you know, he just prays like for the first time. And, and he, uh, you know, you know, to ask for Jason's, you know, passage into like the, the, you know, the Valhalla, you know, the, right. the, the, um, the heaven of warriors kind of thing. And then also like he, he thinks about Screed, you know, he thinks about like w- the other half works we're going to come across on this adventure and like how many of them are going to be just like these, like twisted by their environment sort of, uh, beasts that, you know, maybe, maybe there's something that he could do to uh to to help them or to, or to help mm-hmm. bring some sort of civilization to uh to this area i mean it's it's sort of like a a goal that's a little bit too big but he's just older you know what i mean yeah. so he isn't so like i just want to go out and fight shit like he does want to fight for the right cause but he's also like seeing 
you know, all of these like things that life has to offer. So he's just kind of reflecting on that. And he spends like hours and hours and hours and hours out there just completely alone. I see him like camping out there overnight. Yeah. Like, yeah. Having, yeah. That's a good si- idea. And yeah. like silent vigil. To, yeah. To just sun and silent vigil. Religious and, moment. and you know, like, I don't know what they did with screed. I don't even, we don't even need to go into it, but I assume that it was very unceremonious. I assume they just burn his body or, you know, dumped it in with the, it's like bin whatever. Laden. They just dump yeah. him out by a helicopter into the ocean. Exactly. Exactly. Is that what they did with bin Laden? I think so. Yeah, they dumped him in the got, ocean. He yeah. had a service, though. Yeah, they oh, had a service. Yeah, they but like they, it was in secret. If like, if yeah. they had like put him or buried him, he would have become like a, a mecca of sort for for terrorists to visit. So that's why. Well, they that was the idea. Yeah. No, yeah. yeah, and it's not like you would have said, no, no, no. Uh, we need to. We need to bury him the right way. <laughs> yeah, because no. then they'd start questioning. Bury him uh, in Arlington uh, with honors. <laughs> yeah, Lork is not. Uh, he can't really speak up. You know, he doesn't have that kind of. He's a sergeant. You know what I mean? Right, he's a very right. low-ranking sort of military person, and so he just sort of reflects on it and he prays to this god about it, sees if he can get any answers. You know what I mean? That that kind of thing. And then otherwise, he's getting his bow made during that time. Right. Um, yeah. Baron, what what what's going on with you for these couple of days? So Baron. Um Baron is uh, taking stock, and um, he is trying to talk to as many people as he can while he's at the bar about not just information, which is what he'd normally be doing, but in light of him almost having his head bitten off by a lizard um, and you know nearly dying another time, um, he's honestly just trying to have some sort of normal connection with other people outside of battle. Uh, and to some degree, as 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 the night gets on later, which is really late for him as a dwarf, and he gets drunk, it might be some sort of escapism. But really, um, it's just his attempt, as close as he feels with these people. Every time he looks at Galabras, Gormley, or Lork, he sees uh, some of the fucking shit he dealt with. And as much as you know, the apocalypse now, Huey. Uh, helicopter pilots rode through with Ride of the Valkyries and the battle, like, I'm sure he has some degree of PTSD surrounding this. Hmm. So he's just trying to kind of grasp at some moment of normalcy um, like he used to have when his parents were around and before all this shit happened. So I think that Baron is very good at recognizing in this harsh world when he has moments of respite to take advantage of them. And not freaking out too much. That being said, every moment he has, he is going over the schematics for weapons in his um, that he that he carries with him from his family, and he is making sure he has all the materials, everything necessary to begin crafting a new one. And he's like making like a Boy Scout <laughs> making a gun out of ivory soap. He's 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 whittling them out. He's making sure that what he makes with his hands correlate to the schematic as closely as possible. Um, but I guess overall, um, he's, uh, trying to enjoy himself and be just a normal person for whatever limited time he can. So for these couple of days, I see Baron's kind of sitting at the bar, maybe drowning his, his, uh, his condition in the, in the bottle <laughs> while reading books on gun making, uh, you know, <laughs> That's the kind of guy you'd want to avoid at the bar. <laughs> he's reading like uh, Dwarf Gun Monthly. Yeah, he's like sitting in the corner reading Soldier of Fortune. I'm like getting drunker and drunker. I'm not going to hurt you. I'm not going to hurt you. It's for the bad guys. Meanwhile, Galabras is at the gym wailing on his pecs. 
<laughs> Bigger, faster, stronger. <laughs> Lork is out in the woods just praying, and just Gormley's being creepy at the library. That's what's happening every day. Just send all around town. You know, <laughs> she is like Ali Sheedy in the Breakfast Club. <laughs> Yeah. It always comes back thing. to that. Uh, with a fake mustache, too, by the way. Um, <laughs> You'll never guess who I am. <laughs> and, uh, you know, after a few days pass, you guys uh, make your way to the Ivory Hall. And uh, as you do, there's a smell of death in the air, and you realize they're, this is the day they're burning the rest of the orc bodies. And as you walk by, each of you on your way to the Ivory Hall, you can see what's left of Screed's body being burnt because you notice a lock of blonde hair on the pile. He's just, just, he's just one of the piles. Just crisps up. Yeah. So he, in, even in death, he never got to stand out yeah. amongst the crowd. Uh, and it's tough, you know? I mean, this guy was not a good guy. He was a chaotic, evil dude. But uh, nature versus nurture. Um, <laughs> well, he wasn't orc. <laughs> he wasn't orc. Um, half. Half, half, half work. Half. Yeah, slow now, your rolls, kid. Now, you guys know that uh, the Ivory Hall, and, and Baron, even though you're newer to town, you would know that the Ivory Hall is the seat of power in Trunau. Anybody have knowledge history? Uh, yes. Yes. Um, give me your, a knowledge history roll. Uh, 24. Oh, that'll, that'll do. Uh, Galabras, maybe in your in your reading, in your copious amounts of reading over these days, you would know that back in the day, the Ivory Hall was like festooned with the skulls of the most ferocious orc champions and chieftains that were killed in Trunau's first siege. Uh-huh. Um, and their eye sockets were like a mute testimony to both the constant threat under which Trunau exists and to the Trunauans' unwavering commitment to surviving these orc raids. Um, but later generations of counselors found the display to be too grisly, too barbaric, and actually much too similar to the way orcs would do business, mm. like hanging the heads on stakes outside yeah, of their forts. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Bar- they were like, yeah, we bear. let's get rid of these bones. Like, Are we no better than the orc? <laughs> exactly. I mean, that's what they were saying. Like, we can't, I get it. And, and this might be like a little boost to the morale of the people, but we're not. But we're it's not, not like cool, them. you guys. Yeah. It's not um, cool. And, and imagine the half orcs walking around town like, uh, that's that might be my dad. <laughs> um, <laughs> but to, today, the hall gets its name because of its brilliant white walls. When you go inside, and it's uh, the home of Chief Defender, Defender Halgra. Um, and she actually puts the manor to good use. Lork, you would know this, and uh, you know, this is kind of a, a known thing around town. She lets her grown children house their own families in various rooms throughout the Ivory Tower. Um, so it's because you know of Halgra back in the day. She was a, a bit of an adventurer, and she was a bit of a loose woman who uh, had many relationships <laughs> with... Uh, Half-orcs and humans alike. And uh, so she's got all these kids, and so she just kind of lets them live in the ivory uh, yeah. hall. Um, but the only room that's off-limits to uh, all of these, uh, her rough-and-tumble clan, is the meeting room, uh, which is where you guys are uh, supposed to be heading. Um, 
So you guys uh, get there, and there's two guards outside of the hall. They obviously let you in. Oh, my God, it's Lark. It's good. It's Clive. It's Baron. It's Gormley. Holy shit. Should we ask for a selfie? No, 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 no. Just, uh, hey, hello, gentlemen. Uh, come on. Uh, so you go through the first set of double doors, and you just see little, like, half-orcs running around, uh, and, like, uh, humans. Kids, kids. Uh, all different... Uh, Skin colors and shapes and sizes running around, um, but then you are led like off paradise uh, to. <laughs> you're led off to a. It's like a Benetton uh, commercial. An, another room that has uh, just beautiful ornate white <laughs> doors, and uh, there are more guards standing outside those doors, um, and they see you guys and obviously allow you entrance into the room. And uh, when you go in, the whole back wall is just an open window um, that has... Uh, the Ivory Hall, by the way, is right on the southeastern portion of town. So the Ramble House is on the southwest corner. This is tucked away into the southeast corner. So this back window opens up with these commanding views of the countryside. Uh, beyond, over the wall? Yeah, over the wall okay. of True Now. Um, Beautiful. And it's it's gorgeous, and uh, you know she uses this mainly to host her war councils, entertain visitors that like come to do trade in Trunau, emissaries from other uh, areas from far far away from Trunau, um, or even pathfinders uh, who come to Trunau, mm -hmm. uh, like looking who are doing expeditions into Belkson. Um, so yeah, you guys walk in, and there is a long uh, marble table. A uh, beautiful marble table that stretches all the way to the end of the room. And you can see uh, Halgra uh, of the Blackened Blades, Chief Defender Halgra of the Blackened Blades, played by Melissa McCarthy, uh, <laughs> sitting uh, at the far end of the room. And uh, she says, welcome. Um, please uh, have a seat. And there are four seats at the opposite end of the table, uh, around a rounded portion where the, where the table rounds out for you guys to sit. And then on either side of the table are a number of people. Um, to uh, Halgra's left is pat uh, patrol leader Jagrin Grath, your old buddy Jagrin, Lork's boss. Cursed is standing. Paul, Paul Giamatti. Paul, played by Paul Giamatti. And is a known racist. Known racist. But you guys had a, a, a surprisingly good encounter with him when you did have to tell yep, him what was going surprisingly on. Surprisingly yeah. good. Your fireside chat. And he was super cool after we saved the town. Yeah. So maybe he's worth giving a second chance. Maybe he's not a dick. Standing behind <laughs> him, uh, kind of not at the table, so against the wall, you see Cursed. He's not part of the council, but he's been uh, invited in. Um, and he's played by uh, that guy from Big Bang Theory, Jim something. Jim Parsons. Yeah, Jim Parsons. Good for him. Uh, to the, uh, we needed to give him another role. <laughs> really? Really? To how He's already got all that Microsoft money. <laughs> to, also, multiple Emmys, but... That's, yeah, that's true. To Halgra's right is um, High Priestess Tyari Varvados. Oh, Tyari! Yeah. Hey. I don't think I ever cast her. You never did cast her. There she is. And she's, Senorita uh, Varvados. Is, uh, is she, I would like to suggest... Uh, Catherine Zeta-Jones. Okay, yeah, she could use the... But like in that work. Sean Connery Whoa, movie... She just Shots got like fired. way more beautiful. No, 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 like in the movie where she has those yarn pieces out to simulate the lasers where they're heisting and her butt... Yeah, yeah, uh, with, uh, oh, with Sean, Sean Connery. Connery. Entrapment. Yeah. Entrapment. Entrapment. Good call. I, uh, can I make a diplomacy check to have sex with her? Um, 
The whole dragon. Come on, man. It's <laughs> been had, a lifelong dream. He's he's a, a high priestess. He, uh, he's like from the chance. Jersey Shore now. He's been doing gym tan laundry. Yeah, I look really good. This is the best uh, Galabras right. has ever looked. Galabras sees Tyari and just it's starts now or like, never. flexes in yeah, his shirt. Yeah. His, uh, his confidence is through the roof right he's now. Like, oh, I took a level in fighter. Hello, Tyari. Uh, <laughs> there are a couple other people uh, in the room you see. Sarah Morninghawk. And yeah. uh, her wife, Agreet Stegenstar, uh, and they look uh, like they're doing pretty well. Sarah doesn't have any bandages on her. Uh, she nice. looks like she bounced back pretty quickly. Um, must be her orc ferocity. Is uh, Yagreet <laughs> still a dwarf? Because that's terrible. Uh, Agreet is a dwarf. Oh, she's a. Yes. Oh, yes. right, right, right. She is. Yep. Uh, little Agreet uh, is standing there. Um, who owns the magic shop. You also see a woman that uh, you haven't met yet. Um, you would know if you're from here. Um, it is counselor and banker Lessie Crumkin. Uh, she is a female cleric of Abadar, but not the uh, douchebag uh, that almost hung Brynja. Uh, Michael Madsen. Right, played by Michael Madsen. This is uh, and who uh, she played a by? rather attractive uh, woman. She... Catherine Zeta-Jones. Played by Catherine Zeta-Jones. <laughs> but from... Catherine Zeta-Jones. And Catherine Zeta-Jones. Uh, in Tyari Barbados is played by Entrapment Catherine Zeta-Jones. And uh, Leslie Crumpkin is played by High Fidelity Catherine Zeta-Jones. Oh, whoa. Wow. Way hotter. So, Very different uh, hairstyles. Just, just, just to give you a, a clear picture of yeah. the room. One of them has a Welsh accent. The other one has an American accent. That's true. Yeah. Um, I love cigarettes. There is one other man standing there. Charlie. And then, Charlie. Uh, excuse me, there's behind uh, Halgra, you see standing is Silvermane. Oh, this oh. is the dude I want to Played by Donald Sutherland. Yeah. An elf, by the way, who was mm. the keeper of the Hope Spring. Yeah. He's standing there beside her. And there's one other man at the table that Lork you've seen around, you would know. Um, and uh, the others of you would not know. Maybe Galabras, you've heard of him. Um, but Gormley, you look at this man, and he looks so friggin' familiar, you can't place him. Roll a perception check. 18. Halgra says, uh, I'm sure you know everyone here. This is uh, uh, Sarah and her wife, Agreet. And, uh, of course, you know High Priestess Tyre of Arvedos. Um, Silvermane is... Right here, and uh, patrol leader Jagran Grath and Kirst is with us as well. Um, this is Lessie Crumpkin. Um, you may recognize her from High Fidelity. <laughs> and uh, what's John Cusack like? <laughs> and then this oh, here is our uh, master of stores, uh, Mr. Kesson Plum. And right when she says that name, Gormley realizes. It's the young man she was in love with. <gasps> what? Who she hasn't seen in decades. Holy oh. motherfucking. He's on the council? He's on the council. Whoa. He's like the master of coins. Because like, he was a rich fuck. And he's played by uh, Aiden Gillen, who's Peter Baelish. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Game of love Thrones. that guy. But yeah. you know what? It's no big deal because Gormley's been doing great on her own. <laughs> And yeah, she has. Before, before you even have a moment <laughs> to kind of take this all in, you notice that there's one more empty chair, and Hagra says, we'll uh, get started once our last council member is here. The doors burst open, right as she says that. <laughs> and it's Tom Exposition. Yeah! Yeah! Hey, fellas, bet you have a lot of questions. <laughs> I'll answer them all next week. 
Uh, no! <laughs> Tom, I'm so happy to see you. Tom, right now. You. Wait, no, Tom, Tom, right now. Tom, right now. Come on, Tom. Tom, 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 Tom,